Friends, good morning and welcome to Christ Church. I'm Dave Bianchin. I'm one of the pastors on staff here, and I'm delighted to be leading worship with you this morning. If you're visiting with us via live stream or Facebook, uh, we're glad you're here as well. And those of you here in the sanctuary, uh, great to be with you today. I'd like to extend a special welcome to those who are worshiping with us for the first time. And whether you're online or in person, we, want, we look forward to getting to know you and hope that you'll use some of the prompts on the screen or to talk with one of us after the service for more information about the church. Would you please uh, join with me as we are called to worship? Scripture says, the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. So friends, we give glory to God Almighty who sent his only begotten son that we might have new life. We give glory to our Lord Jesus Christ who became flesh and dwelt among us that we might become his people. We give glory to the Holy Spirit who directs and rules our lives. Let us worship him, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Alleluia, alleluia, amen. Jesus Christ is born today. Ox and earth. 
Friends, please be seated. And let's join our hearts and our minds and our uh, voice, or rather, hearts and minds together as we pray. Let's pray together. Gracious God, in the rush of the planning for Christmas, the presents have been opened and we come again to worship you. For whatever distractions over the past few weeks held our hearts at bay, bring them fully to the manger this morning. We are thankful, Lord, that in a harsh and unpredictable world, you are our foundation and our friend. Even as we worship you in holiness and in wonder, we cling closely to the knowledge that you walk beside us and care for us in the changing seasons of life. You have shown us your heart so clearly, and you have come to save us. But Lord, we have much to confess as well. In love, you spread good gifts before us, more than we need or deserve. You feed, heal, teach, and save us. We confess that we often want more that we never share as freely as you give. We resent what we lack and we're jealous of our neighbors. We misuse what you intend for joy. God, forgive our greed, our destructiveness, our unthankfulness. In mercy, help us to take such pleasure in your goodness that we will always be thanking you. So hear us, Lord, in this moment of silence as we each confess our sins to you. We are thankful, Lord, for your faithfulness, for your complete commitment to us and our salvation. Continue your work in us, Lord, so that each and every day we might become more like Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen. Friends, hear the good news. The Apostle Paul wrote to Timothy, the saying is sure and worthy of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross that we might be dead to sin and alive to all that is good. I declare to you in the name of Jesus Christ, you are forgiven. As God's own people, then be merciful in action, kindly in heart, humble in mind. Be always ready to forgive as freely as God has forgiven you. And above everything else, be loving. Never forget to be thankful for what Christ has done for you. Amen. Oh, <laughs> 
Friends, please join with me again as we come to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, in sending us your Son, Jesus, to be born of Mary, your Word became flesh, and we have seen a new and radiant vision of your glory. His name is above every name, the Prince of Peace and our Savior. In him we have been brought out of darkness and into your marvelous light. Lord, we look at the world, and even though Jesus was sent to be the light of the world, the world is still in so many ways mired in darkness. During this past year, the darkness was especially painful, affecting people all over the world, many of us. The virus bringing harm and death, the deaths of George Floyd and others adding to the estrangement that so divides us. And we enter the new year, 2021, praying for health and wholeness and reconciliation. Lord, we pray for healing. Protect those who are ill from further harm, Lord. We ask especially for the pandemic to cease, for the ability to see loved ones again. We pray for peace. Bring reconciliation between folks who are different from one another. Give us understanding and compassion. And we pray, Lord, that you would bring the wars that plague our world to an end. We pray for wholeness, not only for ourselves, but for all people. Help us to befriend the lonely, to share our resources with the poor, and to work for reconciliation. We pray, Lord, most of all for hope. In the darkness of this world, Lord, shine the light of your presence. Show yourself to all that all may come to worship you, and especially may we. We thank you that we enter the new year with you by our side and in our hearts. May we trust you with the future, bless you with our obedience, and witness to you with our lives. We offer this prayer in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, who taught us to pray together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Thank you, Dave, and good morning and Merry Christmas to all of you. It is a delight to be sharing this final Sunday of 2020 with this church family. Wherever you may be located today, we just uh, cherish so much the deep uh, bond of affection that binds us together in Jesus Christ. And I just want to say a thank you on behalf of our entire congregation to the marvelous music ministers of Christ Church. Uh, over this past year, uh, they have been challenged to present uh, worship in its various uh, venues uh, in creative ways, and I want to just say they have risen to the occasion. And so I just want to say bless you for your faithfulness uh, during this time that has been one of the great weekly rhythms of grace in my life is the chance to enjoy uh, the wonderful uh, musical worship of this church. I also want to, yes, and I'm... And those of you online may be joining us. Thank you. Thank you so much. Uh, I hope and pray that you've had uh, an opportunity for some rest and merriment in your homes over these last couple of days, perhaps 
got an opportunity to enjoy one of the online Christmas services that our church presented. We uh, offered eight of them this year, uh, both in the traditional and in the contemporary expressions of worship. And then these last couple of days have given, I hope, all of us a chance to slow down, uh, to breathe deep, to uh, look around into the faces of others whom we love. I know in our family we've had all three of our boys uh, home uh, for the holidays and for an upcoming uh, family wedding that's going to take place very shortly. And it has been um, pandemonium in the Meyer house, but of the best possible kind. I hope uh, others have enjoyed uh, their time as well. Uh, we're blessed today to have the opportunity to hear from one of our more gifted staff partners. Uh, Steve Noble, as some of you will know, is one of the pastors to the students of the church's life, uh, reaching hundreds and hundreds of teenagers every single year. Uh, Steve is a graduate of Fuller Theological Seminary and will be starting, not too long from now, a doctorate in family ministry. And Steve's messages are always uh, passionate and thoughtful, and I know that you're going to enjoy uh, this particular timely message uh, for today. Then next Sunday, the 3rd of January, you will have opportunity to hear for the very first time since her return to Christ Church, uh, the Reverend Terabeth Leach. Uh, Terabeth is going to be keynoting the start of a brand new year with a message entitled Radiant Church. And it is a title that is drawn from the cover of a new book that she is publishing through InterVarsity Press and that will be coming out uh, in just a couple of months' time. And uh, I know you will find this to be a wonderful uh, lens through which to look at life during this new year ahead. Uh, so do come and join us, invite friends and uh, others to take advantage of the opportunity to worship with us at the start of the new year, either online or in person at either of our campuses. And then two weeks from now, we're going to be launching a new series of reflections that will carry us through the end of the month of January. I will be uh, kicking off that series and preaching uh, most of the messages in that series. Uh, it is entitled, Where Do We Go From Here? How to Thrive and Not Just Survive in 2021. And uh, we're going to be looking together uh, at the story of Joshua in the Old Testament, where we find some terrific principles and practices that can tell us a lot about how to cross over the river into the new land that God has for us. And this will be a year uh, ahead of us, no doubt, that is fraught with its own sets of challenges, uh, but God's grace is going to be more than sufficient for us, and I hope and pray that you will join us for this uh, series, and again, invite uh, friends and others to uh, be part of that, uh, that series of reflections. I know that when we think back upon the year behind us, we uh, are deeply aware of all of the challenges, the struggles, the weariness, uh, all of the hardships that we have lived through together, and there's surely been a lot of that along the way. But I hope as you think back, you also find yourself aware of places where God's grace came to you in a very important way, where actually the circumstances of life opened up new reflections, new uh, celebrations of the most important values in your life, perhaps a rediscovery of, of quiet time, of rest, of relationships in a deeper way, 
Uh, this has not been a year just of scarcity. This has been a year that the Lord has made and one in which he has been at work for good in the lives of so many of us. Uh, I want to just say thank you for what you have done to keep Christ Church going strong during 2020. Uh, I want to say a, a personal thank you and, and extend it on behalf of our board of trustees, our elders, our whole staff, for the commitment that so many of you have made to giving faithfully during this year. We could not have done the things that we did this past year had it not been for that faithfulness uh, in your uh, weekly stewardship. I want to say thank you for the way that you have sought to not just um, go to church, but be the church where you are. And uh, really the church left the building back in March and has been alive and at work for good in the world in a marvelous way during this past year. Uh, because of the gifts and the ministries that you've undertaken, we uh, were able this year to bring the gospel message to more people than ever through our online uh, services, through the resource offerings we provided through our website and our social media channels. Uh, we were able to grow the faith of our children and our students uh, through online resourcing and uh, gatherings in backyards and in parks and even in our uh, parking lot uh, many times over the course of these past months. We gave away during the pandemic more than a million dollars to support the work, mission work of partners uh, around the corner, around the world, uh, who were serving in situations even more severely challenged than the ones in which we've been living. And they have been so grateful. Uh, for this continued resourcing that this church has provided. And we were able to distribute over and above all of our typical mission giving uh, some $75,000 that went expressly towards uh, COVID disaster relief and uh, to help people in very concrete ways during this time. I guess the big idea that I really want to leave you with as we uh, come to the close of this chapter of our church's life is that Christ Church did not go to sleep nor sit on the sidelines during 2020. This congregation rose to the challenge. Uh, it stepped up. I know our staff did, and I'm so proud of all that they have done during this time. But it, it, it had not been for the relentless hopefulness and, and servant-heartedness of you, the congregation of the church. Uh, it would have been a very different year, and yet you really helped it. Uh, be one in which God was glorified and people were blessed. And uh, I just stand in humble awe of all of you and, uh, and the way you're living out your faith. As we head into the last few days now of 2020, I know in my household, Amy and I are making final decisions about how we're allocating our, our giving uh, in these last few days to the ministries and activities that matter most to us. Uh, Christ Church is number one for us and it will undoubtedly be the, the, the most significant recipient of our end of year uh, giving because we know how much the local church matters. We know that the strength of the local church is the thing that forms the character of children and families. It's the uh, fount out of which arise missions and nonprofit organizations and so many good things. And uh, we just want to make sure as we finish this year that this congregation's life uh, gets our priority giving. And I just want to invite you, as you uh, consider the information we put up on the screen here, uh, do also please uh, remember Christ Church as you finish out your giving for this year and know how deeply we are grateful for your partnership. 
Let's further worship God now as we prepare to enjoy this musical offering and bring before him the Lord's tithe and our offerings.
Well, good morning, friends. Welcome again to Christ Church. As Dan said, my name is Steve Noble. I serve on the staff team here at the church, and it is my joy to be worshiping alongside you this morning. I hope that your Christmases were filled with the joy and the peace of our Lord, even though things may not have been how we wished they would have been this Christmas season. I hope your holiday was joyful all the same. Well, this morning, as we prepare to turn the page on 2020, a page I imagine many of us are eager to turn, I'd like to take a moment and reflect on the peace that our Lord Jesus offers us in the midst of the instability of our world. Because the truth is, while we'll be flipping our calendar forward in a couple of days, we cannot simply turn the page on the instability of our world. We are living in an uncertain time, and even with vaccines on the way, I imagine much of this instability that we are experiencing to carry on into the year to come. But the message of the gospel, the good news we receive and celebrate at Christmas is that our Lord Jesus Christ, God Himself, come to earth. He offers us peace in the midst of the instability. And he gives us a vision of a future in him when such instability will be no more. During this Advent season, we've journeyed together through a series we've called The Light Leads Us. As we've done so, we've rooted ourselves in John's poetic description of Christ's birth at the start of his gospel. John tells us that the true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world, that the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. Later in his record of Jesus' life, John records a similar statement from Jesus. Jesus himself says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. It's this light in the darkness that draws us ever back to the Christmas story, the gospel story, that God sees us in our brokenness, that he sees the darkness and the pain and the challenge of our world, that he sees us in our instability, and he has not abandoned us to it. Rather, he is our Emmanuel. He is God with us. He is the light that gives us peace in the midst of the instability of our world. Jesus moves us from peace, from instability to peace. He moves us from instability to peace, and he talks about this peace a lot in the Bible. John 16 says, I have spoken these things to you so that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. In John 14, Jesus says, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, I do not give as the world gives, and he goes on, do not let your hearts be troubled, and do not be afraid. There's a story that appears in three of the four Gospels that I think illustrates this well. Jesus' presence in the midst of real, palpable, tangible instability. It's not the most quaint Bible story. It's not the most Christmassy Bible story. It's not what we gather around the fireplace on Christmas Eve to read. But it's a, it's a story that I feel God has been teaching me a lot from as I myself come to terms with the craziness around us and, and ask myself, where is Jesus in this? Hear the word of the Lord. Lord, speak to us here. Speak to us through your word. Help us to understand. 
This is from the Gospel of Mark. That day when evening came, he said to his disciples, let us go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was in the boat. There were also other boats with him. And a furious squall came up and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern sleeping on a cushion and the disciples woke him and said to him, teacher, don't you care if we drown? And he got up, he rebuked the wind and said to the waves, quiet, be still. And then the wind died down and it was completely calm. And he said to his disciples, why are you still so afraid? Do you still have no faith? And they were terrified and they asked each other, who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. And they went across the lake to the region of the Gerasenes. When Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an impure spirit came from the tombs to meet him. This man lived in the tombs and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been chained hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart, broke the irons on his feet, and no one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and in the hills, he would cry and cut himself with stones. Now I'm gonna skip us forward here a little bit. There's a, a bit of a long interaction. I wanna give you the spark notes though. Jesus heals this man. He, he sends the demons out of him. They go into a herd of pigs. They run into the sea. It's a wild story. Read it on your own. Um, but I want us to move us forward and ca- try and catch where is Jesus in this? Where does Jesus position himself? In verse 14, I'm picking this up. Those tending the pigs ran off and reported this in the town and the countryside. The people went out to see what had happened. And when they came to Jesus, they saw the man who had been possessed by the demons sitting there and dressed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. Those who had seen it told the people what had happened to the demon-possessed man and told about the pigs as well. And then the people began to plead with Jesus to leave their region. As Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him, and Jesus did not let him, but said, go home to your own people and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. So the man went away and began to tell in the region of the ten towns how much Jesus had done for him. And all the people were amazed. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Lord, allow us to hear your word today. Allow us to understand who you are. That we might live in the light that you give us. Amen. Well, I know that's a strange story, but I'm drawn to this passage because I think it paints a healthy picture for us of the variety of suffering and instability that we face. Each one of us experience instability in different ways, and as such, we need Jesus to meet us in these spaces differently. We see three examples of instability in that passage that I want to look further at three places where Jesus meets them in that instability. First, the ship. Some of us have experienced 2020 like the disciples experienced that storm. We thought we were in control. We bought into the lie that told us if we could just work hard enough, do the right things, attach ourselves to God in the right way, prepare in the right ways, then everything in life would just fall into line. Things would be easy, smooth sailing. These guys have made the right decisions. They've 
chosen to follow Jesus. They've been with him every step of the way, studying with him, serving in the community, traveling from town to town, teaching of the coming kingdom. And as Jesus' influence grew, so too their stars were growing in the community. The crowds around them were getting bigger and bigger. People were starting to notice them in the streets. They were starting to feel larger than life. And then the storm came, and they weren't in control anymore. And as the waves washed over the boat, they would have begun to feel increasingly small. You can only bail so much water out of a ship. Who were they to hold back the wind? And the waves began to look like they couldn't keep the boat afloat, that they were going to sink, and there was nothing they could do about it. They thought they had everything under control, and now it's very clear that they don't. And their response, if you catch this, their response is frantic action. They're working as hard as they can, trying to regain control, and while they're working, Jesus is asleep. Jesus is experiencing the same instability as his friends, and as his friends are frantically working, he's not. He's asleep. He's resting. And as he does, I think he models for us something important that we can cling to in our own instability. You see, sleep is an interesting thing. It's an everyday reminder of our own mortality, a reminder of our complete reliance on God. When we sleep, we trust in God to sustain us. We trust that the God who never sleeps will watch over us. When we sleep, we are reminded that we are not infinite, that we are not God, that we cannot accomplish all things through the power of our own might. When we sleep, we confess that we are not in control and we trust the God of all creation to carry us through the storm as Jesus, fully God and fully man, sleeps, he models the peace that faith in God gives us. There's a lie that tells us if we can work hard enough, we can take control of our own lives, that we can manage all the variables, that we are the masters of our own destiny, but the truth is we are small. We cannot control the world. And so our call is to stop trying to control everything, not giving up, but resting in the arms of the God who is in control. So so bail as much water as you can. Do all you can. Take care of your family, socially distance, wear your mask. But at the end of the day, rest. Sleep. The disciples scramble and they wake Jesus up. They say, Master, Master, don't you care that we are going to drown? And he gets up and he shows who he is. He calms the storm and then he questions their faith. Why? Because as soon as they lost control, they lost themselves. What does peace look like in instability? Sometimes it just looks like rest. Trust in God. Psalm 127 shares this, unless the Lord builds the house, the builders labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the guards stand watch in vain. In vain you rise early and stay up late, toiling for food to eat, for he grants sleep to those he loves. Now clearly I'm looking at this this 
story in a theological way about our faith in God, but I think it's also decidedly practical. Tish Harrison Warren shares this, talking about this very story. She says, God cares about sleep. One of my Warren's favorite moments in the Gospels is when Jesus conks out in the back of a boat in the middle of a storm. His sleep was theological in that it displayed an unwavering trust in his father, but let's not forget that it was also an ordinary example of a tired man taking a nap. God wants to give us not just lives of holiness and prayer, but also of sufficient rest. God wants you to rest and trust that he's got it. So work as hard as you can. But at the end of the day, rest knowing that the God of the universe who can do more than you ever could is on it and then get up and get after it again. I wanna pause here and, and clarify something that I think is important as we look at this story because in this story we see Jesus moving powerfully and saving his people. They make it through that storm. But the promise of the gospel, the peace that Jesus offers us in the midst of the storms that we will face is not that we will make it through everything. No, we will die. We will lose loved ones. Some of us have lost loved ones this year. That is not a sign of God's abandonment. No, the peace that God offers us even in the face of the most devastating loss is a peace knowing that he is still working, that death is not the end for us, that he has overcome death itself, that even when we can't do anything to help ourselves or those we love, that he is actively working on our behalf for our salvation. He gives us a peace that passes understanding in those unbelievable storms of our lives that allows us to rest in him. My dear friend and colleague Peter Solaro has experienced devastating personal loss in 2020 as he faced a cancer diagnosis and eventual passing of his mother. And it's, it's, it's been really hard. Something I admire about Peter is that he never shies away from, he never talks down his own pain, but at the same time, I've been able to see firsthand in him this, this immense peace that I know Jesus has filled his life with. I sat down with him last week because I wanted to know where has he experienced God's peace in this season of his life and what he, he said was so profound. I wrote it down. I'm just gonna share Peter's words here for a second because they're incredible. Peter says this. He says, it's not just a hope that comes from knowing we'll be in heaven one day like a nice consolation prize to make up for a painful life. Yes, we have that hope of eternity. We look forward to being reunited in glory, but it's also a true tranquility of the heart that God grants us right now. That peace and even joy in the midst of loss come in the releasing, accepting that we can't do enough to accomplish some things and that not all that we want to happen will happen, but that's okay. Even when this broken world brings hardship and death, there is peace in knowing that God has conquered death. He is the great redeemer and he loves us abundantly, and his will is good. Now, you may not be there yet. You may not be ready to say what Peter says, and that's okay. I really, I just want 
our community to know, those of you facing hardship, God has not abandoned you. The peace that the Lord offers us in the storm is not this pie in the sky, everything's gonna turn out just fine type of peace. It's something deeper, it's richer, it's more real than that. As long as we live on this earth, we will face hardship. And the truth is we will often be reminded of our own lack of control. The peace that Jesus gives us is a peace rooted in ultimate redemption that he will make all things well. And he invites us to participate in that work that he's doing so we get to work as hard as we can. Bail water out of the ship as hard as you can, but at the end of the day, he also invites us to rest, knowing that he's still working, that he never tires of working on your behalf. He never tires of working on your behalf. Rest. The second example of instability um, that I want to talk about in that story is, is the man who lives in the tombs. While the disciples scramble when they realize that they all of a sudden are not in control, um, we see this man as someone whose experience is rather different. He has never seemed to have a whole lot of control. I imagine he did not feel like someone who was in control of his own destiny. Hear how Mark describes him again. Mark says, this man lived in the tombs and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. Night and day among the tombs and in the hills, he would cry out and cut himself with stones. This is a man who's living in the tombs. He has been given up for dead. Now, admittedly, this part of the story is a bit strange. There's demons, there's pigs, there's a lot going on. And I, I don't want us to get too caught up here looking at the nature of his affliction. What, what was the, the demonic activity in his life? What did that look like? Why were there pigs? What's going on here? There's a lot of um, study that that's, indicates this is maybe a symbol for Rome. I don't want us to get too caught in that there's a time for that. I, I want to just set that aside, though, and look at where does Jesus position himself next to this man? Allow me to paint a, a picture for you here. In the passages leading up to this story, before they get in the boat, we see the crowds around Jesus getting bigger and bigger. Two verses earlier, um, before the story in Luke's gospel, we see Jesus' his mother and brothers trying to approach him, and they can't even get near him because the crowds around Jesus are so big. Jesus has quite the following. And up until this point, Jesus has moved from town to town, in the, mostly in the, the north and the west edges of the Sea of Galilee. This is a primarily Jewish region in his day. And in those spaces, he's become quite the celebrity. He has a platform to teach. People are listening to his message. And so when he says to his disciples in verse 22, let's go over to the other side of the lake, his disciples probably assumed that he meant let's go to one of the other cities and towns in this region where we have this platform. That's not where they go. Instead, they sail for the first time southeast. They go across the notoriously dangerous heart of the Sea of Galilee to the region of the Gerasenes, the modern-day Golan Heights. You've heard of that because it's contested territory in our day, much as it was back then. This is a Roman stronghold. This is a war zone 
They leave the safety of the towns they know, and they travel to foreign territory, not even to a town or village, but to a remote area of caves turned graveyard where they meet this afflicted man. And then in the next part of the story, immediately following the interaction, Jesus is is being asked to leave. So they travel all this way, they face a storm, and then they immediately get chased out of town and they go right back. And so the question we have to ask is why? Why did they do that? Jesus was fully God. He knew what was going to happen. He displays again and again in Scripture that he knows the future. He knows what people are thinking. He knows what's coming down the road. He knew he was placing himself in an uncomfortable situation. He knew this was going to be a brutal journey, an absolute failure by human standards. He knew he'd be returning in like a day from where they started when they had no story of triumph. Their boat nearly destroyed. Their gear in tatters from the storm. Why? The only answer that I think makes sense is he went for that one guy. He went for that one guy. Jesus displays again and again that he is intentional to get close in proximity to those who are hurting. He makes himself uncomfortable to bring peace to someone whose life is overcome with instability. He crossed the sea, he faced a storm, he took on rejection to bring peace to one person, and he does the same for you. Friends, some of us have experienced 2020 like the man in the tombs. We've been separated from our communities, we've been given up for dead even, or lost, irredeemable, beyond the point of return. We've been overcome by addiction, by mental health challenge, by trauma, by isolation. Our worlds have crumbled around us and there's no reason that Jesus should come across the sea for us. We don't deserve such grace. We probably can't even imagine a world where we would experience peace, but still he comes. He comes for us. He makes us new. He is the light that guides us from instability to peace, he makes him uncomfortable, himself uncomfortable. He comes across the sea for us. The last people I wanna talk about in this story are the people who reject Jesus, the townspeople. They've seen the miraculous, the man they once knew as the crazy guy from the tombs, they see him in front of them dressed and in his right mind and the Bible says they were afraid. They hear the eyewitness accounts and maybe they're troubled by Jesus' power. Maybe they're troubled by the economic loss of the pigs. Maybe they just don't want their lives to change because they're comfortable, but they decide they don't want anything to do with the guy, that they're not ready for their lives to be turned upside down, and they send Jesus on his way. And the story goes that the man who had been healed asked Jesus if he could come with them, but Jesus says no, and here's what Luke says. The man from whom the demons had gone out begged to go with him, but Jesus sent him away saying, return home and tell how much God has done for you. So the man went away and told all over town how much Jesus had done for him. You see, Jesus, excuse me, you see, the people who turn Jesus away, they've experienced their own type of instability. Jesus came to town and he shook things up. 
He shows his, his power, and while the one man sits at his feet transformed, ready to join the team, we see in the townspeople another response, one of fear. They are inches, they are inches away from the one person who could transform their lives for the better, and they choose to reject it. And in Jesus, we see an important response, and I want us to catch this. When they reject him, he doesn't wash his hands of them. He doesn't do the, oh, well, we tried. Instead, he sends the man back as a living testament of God's love and power. He sends them someone who will be able to show them the way to transformation. He sends someone whose transformation has been so drastic that they can't ignore it so that when they're ready, they'll have someone who can show them the way back to the God who's never given up on us. For some of us, 2020 has just been too much. We're maybe not ready to come before God and ask him to transform us. We maybe aren't even sure what that means. Some of us have actively rejected God. We want no part in what he's doing. But even when we have given up on Jesus, he hasn't given up on us. He always provides a way back. He'll always give us a little glimmer of what he's doing, maybe through a friend or through a child or through the beauty of creation or through the crazy guy whose life has been transformed. He always provides us away back, even when we choose to reject Jesus, even when we choose to stay and remain in our instability, he gives us a way back. There's always a way back. There's always a road back to his peace. At Christmas, we are reminded that Jesus is the light of the world, and his light guides us from instability to peace. As we close today, I I want you to ask yourself, friends, what action do you need to take? Who who are you in that story? Some of us need to give up control and trust God. We need to realize that we can't keep the ship afloat with our own constant frantic action. We need to give ourselves freedom to rest and to trust God. And again, I, I want to make this important note, sometimes we will trust God with all of our heart. We will have so much faith in him and still our loved one loses the battle. Not every ship makes it through the storm on this earth. But I want you to know that the peace God gives us is a peace knowing that we will ultimately, we will eternally be with him. Death is not the end and in that truth, we can rest. Jesus says, who of you can add a single day to your life by worrying? Some of us need to give ourselves freedom to rest. Others of us feel completely lost, left for dead, abandoned, too far gone. If that's you, I want you to know Jesus will always come. He makes himself uncomfortable to come to you. He will always cross the sea for you and he will bring you peace. If that's you, just just know he's coming. He comes to each one of us. If you're like me, you might be challenged by the story of Jesus crossing the sea, the depth of Jesus' intentionality to get close in proximity to those in need. I hear this story and I ask myself, what does it look like for me to go to the other side? 
because I'm, I'm comfortable here. But I'm mindful that there are people on the other side of the world, other side of our town, other side of this room even, who need help. What does it look like for me to, to say what Jesus said? Let's, let's go to the other side. I might need to get close in proximity to some, some other people. Finally, some of us approach Jesus with trepidation. We're not sure we're ready to have our lives changed by him. And if that's you, I want you to know he's, he's never gonna give up on you. you. You've never missed your chance. He always makes a way. He's always waiting. Friends, as we enter 2021, let's draw near to the God who moves us from a place of instability to one of peace. Will you pray with me? Lord, guide us. We are broken. We are confused. We are weary. As we step into a new year, Lord, remind us of your closeness. Remind us of your presence, that you are strong when we are weak. That when we are overwhelmed and overcome, you draw near to us. You come to us. And that when we're not ready to, to welcome you, God, you don't, you don't give up on us. Remind us of your goodness today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
Well, friends, it has been an absolute joy to be worshiping with you, whether you joined us online on Facebook or through our live stream or joined us in person. Thank you. It is a joy to gather in the Lord's presence together. For those of you who are joining us in the sanctuary this morning, we thank you for your patience as the ushers dismiss each section. And we do ask that you keep your masks on as you make your way out of the building. Now, friends, will you receive this benediction? May the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face to shine upon you. May he lift his countenance to you and bring you the fullness of peace wherever you are today. May the Lord bring you his peace in 2021. Amen. Go in peace.